Now for our sermon text, I invite you to turn in your Bibles in the Old Testament to Psalm 127. This one's on page 518 if you're reading in the Pew Bibles. And so in a moment we'll read all five verses of Psalm 127. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to share that uh, despite Robert's observation when I walked in this morning, I have been here in Sterling for reasons other than baptisms. Uh, I was actually licensed to preach at a meeting here in this building, and I seem to remember this room looking much bigger and more intimidating back then. Uh, now I'm able to enjoy the, the warmth of being here a little more. Uh, but I was also here six years ago when Brian was ordained into gospel ministry. And in many ways, that was a very uh, high point for me. But that season of life was kind of a low point for me. And at the presbytery meeting that took place that afternoon, uh, it was pretty obvious. I, I thought I was well-composed and cool as a cucumber, as some people might say. But one of the pastors came up to me and said, you look rough. And I said, well, yeah, I got this going on, this going on, and I'm just really busy. But tonight, after this ordination meeting, I'm driving to uh, Kannapolis State Park. I'm going to camp by myself for two, two days and just try and decompress. And he said, well, you need this book. I just read it. I think it will do you a world of good. And it was a book by the pastor Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy. And I went and I sat on my campsite and I read almost the entire book that same night, by the light of a flashlight. And one of the things that was very helpful was his chapter on parenting. Because he said, parents tend to be very busy. But he observed that a lot of the things that parents busy themselves with are meeting expectations that other people place on the parents, not the expectations that God has for us. And he said, really, in all of Scripture, there are only four specific instructions given to parents about their children. The second is to, and I know I skipped the first, the second, he says, is to teach children about the Lord from Deuteronomy 6. The third is to discipline your children. And we find that in Proverbs 13, 24, 19, 18, 29, 17, uh, as well as Ephesians 6, 4 which parents are instructed to raise their own children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. But then that verse also contains the, the fourth instruction. It's the negative flip side. We, we are instructed to not exasperate our children. And that seems to be a helpful balance to how we teach and discipline, that we do it in such a way that we don't exasperate them, or at least that's what we strive to do. But that striving really uh, relates to the first instruction that he identifies. And it's, it's more of an implied instruction. It's going to come from what we read in Psalm 127. And what I see the relationship of this first instruction to those other three, it's very similar to what Jesus calls the two great commandments. When asked about that, he says, The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, if we would only just do those two, everything else will follow. Or on the flip side, 
If we do everything else but fail to love the Lord and to love our neighbor, we haven't really done any of it. And so we're going to consider this first instruction, this foundational instruction given to parents, found in Psalm 127. And so this is the holy and inspired word of God. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word, for the words of life, of wisdom, and of power that you have inspired and given to us. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in each one of us here. Open our ears that we would hear. Enlighten our minds that we would understand. And would you please soften our hearts so that we believe and respond in faith and in love. We ask this for the good of your people, the glory of your name, and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that first and undergirding instruction to parents that he identified in his book is that you are to regard children as gifts. And as I said, it's kind of an implied instruction. We don't see that as a command. We see in verse 3 the statement, the declaration, Behold, children are a heritage, or an inheritance, or a gift from the Lord. And so if the Lord makes the statement that children are gifts, it does belong to us to believe that, to agree with that, and thus to regard children as gifts. And it's stated there in the third verse as a general truth. Okay, not only within a nuclear family, but they are a gift to the world. After all, if we didn't have children in this world, the population would go away. But even beyond that, think of the, the joy and the happiness that come from the presence of children. Even this morning, in the adult Sunday school class, when Leo interrupted the class to find his father... Sorry if you didn't know that happened, Lisa. But don't worry. Everyone in that room smiled and laughed. If it had been me that walked in there and interrupted the class looking for Brian, I would get dirty looks or, or at best, puzzled looks. But children bring a certain delight to life. And thus we understand, generally in the world and even here in the church, they are a gift. And so this message will have a primary application to parents. But I notice that 
Don offered up a very specific prayer that the message here would be for each of us. I know that not everyone in this room is a parent, and I want you to be sure and understand that whether or not you have your own children, you should recognize that they are a gift, a gift from God, and thus they are a good gift. And there is a way that this applies to everyone within the church. But I think it's important to take a moment to reflect on the nature of gifts because there's something that I think gets unnoticed by many or unspoken by others but can be deeply felt by many. And that's that gifts by nature are not evenly distributed. And this word that says children are a heritage from the Lord or an inheritance, the same word is used in the book of Numbers when it's talking about the inheritance given to each tribe. And in Numbers 26, it says, this tribe got a bigger inheritance, this tribe got a smaller inheritance, and the Levites didn't receive any. And that's okay because the Lord was giving gifts or an inheritance to the tribes. And gifts And there was a talk in Sunday school about the difference between equality and equity. Uh, Gifts do not belong to equality, where they are the same for all people. And I I will use myself as an example here. My wife, Adrian, and I, we have two living children. And I've had to train myself to not say, we only have two kids. Because if I said that, only two kids, well then my two kids, Jackson and Ainsley, they're going to say, only? Are we not enough? Are we not significant? And it has happened many times where I meet people who are overly interested in how many kids we have and why we don't have any more. And I get the feeling that's not just my, my experience, or my, my wife's experience, I, I think it's more common than we realize. And it can come from this acknowledgement that children are a good gift. And we kind of say, if, if something's good, you should have more and more and more. Why don't you have more? Well, it's because they are a gift. And there really is only so much control that a couple can exercise in that area. Yes, If you are married, you can and you should enjoy that other good gift of attempting to make babies. But even then, you cannot force the conception of a child. It says the fruit of the womb is a reward. And we might say, well, yeah, a reward of our efforts. But no, the same word for reward is used by the Lord to describe himself. When he says to Abram, I am your shield. I am am your exceedingly great reward. And though though reward can be used to describe something you earn, uh, gifts, inheritance, is not. And we think about how Paul treats wages and grace in the book of Romans. If salvation is a gift, it's not a wage. It's not a reward in the sense that you earned it. And so if children are a gift... The reward that the Lord is speaking of is his gracious reward to those whom he gives children to. But we need to remember that every child in a womb 
has been put there and fashioned together in the innermost parts by God himself. And it is true that some people make it their aim to have no children at all, and that sadly some are even willing to intentionally kill off unborn children to achieve that goal. But that is sinful and a low regard of God's good gift. And we should recognize that much of our sin stems from a lack of gratitude. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. Though they knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God, nor give him thanks. And so there is a sense in which we recognize the goodness of this gift, but we recognize that it comes from God, that sometimes that gift is withheld from couples who are infertile, barren, or just have great difficulty in conceiving. Our book of Psalms for Worship translates this. It says, By him, by the Lord, the womb bears fruit. And sometimes in Scripture we are told when or why the Lord closes and opens a womb, but most often we are not told that. And so it's not our place to presume or to worry about how many children someone else does or does not have. After all, there is no perfect number of kids. The only perfect people, the only perfect couple in the history of the world did not have any children while they were still perfect. And the only man who remained perfect did not have any physical children at all. And so not every family will have the same number of children. Some families may have none. But each child that the Lord does bring into this world is a gift. And so we are to regard each one and receive them as gifts. That is, secondly, we do need to receive children as gifts. It isn't just enough to regard them as gifts and say, yes, I agree with that, but what do we do with this declaration that children are a good gift of, the, of God? Well, we receive them as such. And I think even the children can help me out here. If someone gives you a gift, what do you do? I hope you say, thank you. That is the simplest but most appropriate response to a gift, to say thank you. And so the best way to receive children as gifts is to be thankful. And we need to remember this. Some, occasionally at more times than others, we need to remember to be thankful. But you should tell God, thank you for children in general. You should tell the Lord, thank you for your own children if he has given them to you. And let me also suggest that you should tell your children that you are thankful for them. Not just thanking them for when they do a good job or they do something well, but let your child know that you are thankful that they are, that they exist, that their very being is appreciated. And on that note, for each of the kids in here, I will tell you, thank you for being here. I know it's not always exciting to sit through an hour or more long worship service. And sometimes I get frustrated with my own kids that they're bored in church and they're not excited to come. But when I stop and think about it, when I was a kid, I wasn't always excited to be in church. And so there's a sense in which, well, on the one hand, why should I expect my kids to be any different than I was? 
And is my getting upset with them, is that going to make them excited to come? No. So I'm trying to learn to just be thankful that my kids or that any kids are here, trusting that in time, you'll look back and be thankful as well. But when I say you should be thankful for your kids and and let them know that, not only when they do things well, you may unintentionally communicate to your children that your love and appreciation for them is conditional, that it's based on what they do and how well they do it, based upon their performance, that your love as parents is earned by your children's obedience. And no, we would never say that. But we might still do that. And I would ask you, this is not a rhetorical question, have you ever been loved in that kind of manner, where someone else's love for you depends on your ability to please them? It's a terrible kind of relationship to be in. Because you live in a certain amount of fear and uncertainty. Uh, This constant pressure of not measuring up, of not knowing, will this person love me today or not? But friends, that is not the way that God has shown us love. He did not love us in response to our obedience. In fact, quite the opposite. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. When we were at enmity with God, he loved us and he saved us. And it is that unconditional love of God for us that conditions us, that produces that obedience that he desires in and for us. But we start from the position of God first loving us. And so we should love our children in that same manner. But sometimes it may be that our greatest fear as parents is that our kids are going to embarrass us in front of other adults, or that our kids will disappoint us by failing to meet the standards of others' expectations. And if that's what's gnawing away at us, then we're going to put a focus on teaching our children good manners and successful behaviors more so than teaching them to know and love the Lord. Because really, Christians are the scum of the earth. Uh, Loving the Lord is not going to make you successful in the eyes of the world. Those two things are often at odds with one another. But if that becomes our focus, then we begin disciplining our our children because they made us look bad or because they inconvenienced us And instead of punishing disobedience, we may punish them simply for being kids. And that's how we exasperate them. The one thing God tells parents do not do is what we are so prone to do if we fail to receive our children as gifts. Because, friends, understand that your children are not your resume. Your children are not your scorecard. If you treat them as such, they may only learn how disappointed you are in them. But if you receive and treat them as gifts from God, receiving them with thankfulness, just think about how that is going to change the inclination of your heart 
and therefore your behavior towards your kids, and therefore your relationship with your kids. All of which in time, Lord willing, will impact their behavior because their hearts have been turned to you. Which, just like having kids, there's only so much you can do to turn the heart of a child. But we're told in Malachi 4, God turns hearts of children to fathers. But before he says that, he says God turns hearts of fathers to children. And so, beloved, we are to receive our children as gifts. Thirdly, receive your children with responsibility. Okay, I certainly hope anything that was said in that last point does not communicate that you should never tell your kids they've done something wrong. No, you have a responsibility to teach, to train, to correct. But we want to make sure that we tell them the correct things that they have done were wrong. Sorry, not that they did something correctly. We want to enforce the right standard and in the right way. And if this was to be an ongoing sermon series, we would go on to talk about the specific instructions of teaching, disciplining, and not exasperating. But just recognize that as God has given children to you, with that, God has given you that awesome task of caring for and teaching these same children. And I say that's awesome in the true sense of that word. It inspires awe. For having a child, it changes your identity. It changes your life. For you now have someone to think of at all times and to be responsible for. And as I said, this is particularly for parents, but this is also for the whole church. The whole congregation this morning took a vow to pray for and to support Webb in his upbringing. Yes, this child has been specifically entrusted to Brian and Lisa, but he has also been collectively entrusted to you as his church family. And though, it, though the Lord does sometimes withhold that gift of children, biological children, that is, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, anyone who leaves home to follow me will receive in this life a hundredfold mothers, brothers, sisters, and children. And so God still does provide a family for his people, even if it's not the ideal standard biological family that some people would, would put up on a pedestal, he gives the lonely a home. He is a father to the fatherless, the defender of the widow. He brings people together in his church family, and together we have a responsibility to care for our children, to love the children in our church. And this responsibility extends to each one of you. And some of you would know Don Piper. He grew up in Topeka and was a pastor in Seattle for many years before he retired. And I always loved hearing Don speak at meetings of Synod because when he st stood up to talk, one, you knew it was going to be something good, but two, you knew he was going to say it in a good way. And I told him that once. I said, Don, I just, I really appreciate your manner and your presence. And he said, well, Jonathan, when I was a little boy, I learned very quickly that there are two kinds of old men in this world. 
There's the old men that give me candy and the old men that yell at me to get off their lawn. And then he said, I decided at an early age which kind of old man I wanted to be. And so if, if that was true, that there really are only two types of old people, and, and as much as you might not be ready to admit this, uh, if you're a child, a young child, old really means anything above 23. <laughs> but if there really are only the old people that give candy to the kids or yell at the kids, which one of those are you? And I'm not saying you need to start carrying candy with you every Sunday. But do you know the kids in your congregation? And do the kids know that you know them? And do they know that you're glad they're here? For this is our responsibility, to care for our children, to demonstrate the love of God in Christ Jesus within this family of the church. And so our responsibility as a church or as parents, needs to be tempered by that same love. Now, a love that flows forward when we regard our children as good gifts from the Lord. And something else I'll mention here. See, part of the, the, the goodness of this weekend for me is driving from Clarenda down to Sterling. I got to spend all day yesterday with my parents. Uh, they live in Topeka, but they're getting ready to sell their house. They would actually like to move to Clarenda, and they want to move to Clarenda because we asked them to. And I spent all day painting trim on their house and mowing the ditches and uh, clearing out overgrown gardens, things that my parents just can't do right now. And it was a joy for me to do it. Not because I'm such a great son, but because my parents did so much for me. I mean, I often did unplanned traveling, which is a nice way of saying hitchhiking. And my dad drove so many miles to pick me up or to take me other places, and he never made me feel bad or foolish about it. And so now that my parents need something, I'm, I'm grateful to help them out because there's a lot of things my parents did not do well. We ate a lot of meals around the television and it was mostly processed packaged foods. They never checked my homework. They never required that I do chores. And right now some kids are saying, oh, I wish I had his parents. <laughs> but regardless of what ways my parents could have done better or maybe outright failed, there was always love. Not once did I ever feel unloved, unwelcome, uncared for in my parents' home. Not once was I ever made to feel guilty for disappointing my parents. And it's important that we recognize, excuse me, that when we have the statement, Psalm 127, verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with these children. This can't only be understood in terms of number, but of quality. Because if a man has 20 children, but has driven every one of them away because of a lack of affection 
of a coolness of heart, then that quiver is empty. And thus, we need to get to the heart of our children, the heart of parenting. And so with that, though it's an an awesome and a daunting and a frightening task, after all, what did we read in Matthew 18? If you cause a child to stumble, you should take a giant millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea. Jesus takes the way we treat and raise children very seriously. And there is much for fear and trepidation, but there's ultimately a place for faith and trust. That finally, I just want to leave you with this point, that you are to raise your children in faith. Because God has given children to you, but in turn, you must entrust your kids to him. Our kids are human beings. They are body and soul. God cares for them in body and soul. And there's this ongoing theme in the sermon that there is only so much that you and I can do. And we should do what we can to keep our kids safe. Faith is not being foolish. Even Jesus himself was not willing to throw himself down off the pinnacle of the temple building. And so put the Lord to the test. But there was a very insightful quote from that book from uh, DeYoung. And in which he said, we live in a strange new world where kids are safer than ever before, and yet parental anxiety is skyrocketing. And I think we can relate to that. I mean, no one that I knew when I was growing up wore helmets when they rode bikes. Most of us didn't even wear seatbelts. And, and we're thinking, how can that be? How can you still be alive? Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear a helmet. I wear one now. Um, but we understand that there's only so much we can do to care for ourselves and our children. And the more devices and techniques and apps that we have which keep our children safe, the more we'll begin to trust in them and in our own ability to be the ones who keep our kids safe in any and every circumstance. But if we extend ourselves beyond our capacity, just like an an overstretched rubber band, ultimately it's either going to lose its strength or it's just going to snap altogether. And the Lord makes it clear that it is in vain It is worthless if you try to build the house, guard the city, or labor if you are not acknowledging that it's the Lord who builds your house, that it's the Lord who is guarding the city, it's the Lord who is giving you rest. And so if you recognize that you are limited, that you are not God, who alone is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Okay, we can't be those things. We aren't those things. So we have to look to the Lord the one who gives angels charge over us to be the one who cares for our children, trusting them to the Lord in body and in soul. You could not save yourself from your sins. So don't think that you will be the one to save your children. That's not your burden to bear, and that's not a burden that you can bear. You and I needed Jesus Christ to come to this world, to die on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Our children need nothing less than that. And God has been pleased to offer nothing less than a free salvation in Christ. And so just understand, parents, you will not be the one who save your kids. 
but you do have a role to play in their salvation, the role that God has given you as parents. And if we receive that, if we trust in God's promises of salvation and care and his covenant of grace that says he will be God to you and your children after you throughout their generations, then you can have peace and confidence and you can have freedom to do the things God calls you to do for your kids. And so if you're going to make it in this awesome task, as parents or as a church, you need to rest in the strong and eternally loving hands of God. And we need to place our children in those same hands, being thankful, not only that God has given us the good gift of children, but that he has a promise to care for your children, to be the one who builds the house. For without that promise, it's all in vain. But with God's promise and his power, it is all in a beautiful and a living hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are good. And we thank you that you've given a good gift of children to this world, to this church, that you have been pleased to give these gifts to many of our households and many times over. But we pray, Lord, that you would continue teaching and training our hearts to recognize the gift that is the kids you have given to us here and to raise our kids with hearts that are thankful. And Lord, I do pray for those who are raising children in the home now that you would give them the grace, the strength, and the patience to do all things you call them to do and to do them well. But may they do them in faith and in your strength. May they do them with a great love for you. May your love sustain them through times that are trying. Father, we pray for those whom you have withheld the gift of children from, and we ask that you would be their inheritance, that you would be the joy of their heart, and that you would bless those who have time and ability and availability to help care for the young people of this congregation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for building your church in such a way that we are a massive family. We thank you for every mother, brother, sister, and child in this church family. And we thank you that we have one Father, our Lord God. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.